Hello listeners, will you allow me a minute to tell you about Pass Test? If you haven't used them yet, you should. They are a fantastic online resource with hundreds of questions and answers covering multiple medical exams, including the MRCS, MRCP and medical finals. I've used them lots and found the resource so useful, particularly the past papers for these exams. As a listener to the podcast, you lucky people get 15% off some of these subscriptions. So don't wait around. I mean, do until the end of the episode, but then go and get your access. Links and codes will be in the show notes. But before we get going, I'd also like to tell you about a really great resource that I've used for probably all my exams. It's Teach Me Surgery. It's a website covering all the topics you'd need to know. It's really easy to use and clear to follow. It goes through the topics in a logical and comprehensive manner and always finishes making it clinically relevant. Nearly all the content is free and I'd highly recommend adding it to your regularly used resources. Please find the link in the bio and check it out. Welcome to MRCS on the Move. Bowels, bones and backseat vibers. I'm your host, Naomi, but this is the podcast where you do the talking. Okay, welcome back to our second episode of uh, colorectal cancer. We're going to dive into some clinical stuff now. I've got Miss Faulkner back with me again today, so thank you so much. Um, uh, you're reminding me of everything that I knew not that long ago about colorectal cancer, <laughs> so this is great. Um, not that I actually need it that much anymore, but there we go. <laughs> um, so we're going to go straight in with um, what are the NICE guidelines for a two-week wait colorectal cancer referral? I'm just going to jump in here quickly and apologise for the upcoming audio quality. Um, I had a minor IT issue with a laptop, so I've got my old one out, which seems to have just been heating up for a long time. Um, so if you can bear with it, please do, but otherwise I apologise. And back to Miss Faulkner for the answer. Okay, so... Um... Currently, the GPs will refer patients in if they are over the age of 40 with unexplained weight loss and abdominal pain, over the age of 50 with unexplained rectal bleeding, over the age of 60 with either iron deficiency anemia, a change in bowel habit, or a rectal or abdominal mass found on examination, or you can be referred under the age of 50 years with rectal bleeding and abdominal pain, change in bowel habit, weight loss or iron deficiency anemia. So generally speaking, they are the collection of symptoms that are going to get you a referral in. Things have changed a little bit recently in that we are now using the faecal immunohistochemistry test, the FIT, for looking for microscopic blood in stool. Another really important publication to look at is the NICE FIT study 
which was published in 2020 um, by D'Souza et al. D'Souza, Nigel D'Souza, is a colorectal registrar who did this work during his out-of-programme research time. And mm. this has been, uh, I should imagine, career-changing for him. Mm. But essentially, the bottom line is that fit, um, if it's negative you're very unlikely to have a significant polyp or a bowel cancer. Yeah. I would strongly recommend that you read the publication because it really goes into a lot of detail about the sensitivity and specificity of the test mm. in both asymptomatic patients and symptomatic patients. The things you've got to know is that it is becoming part of the HSC or two-week weight referral pathway. Mm. So GPs are going to get fit tests done on the patients and hopefully before they get referred in, it should make mean that we receive a huge number less yeah. of referrals. At the moment, we get a huge, a massive number. Yeah. Um, in most hospitals in the, this region, it's around 75 to 100 patients a week because these are, these are common symptoms. Yeah, we all yeah. know the common symptom abdominal pain is. So... We get around 75 patients referred a week and about 3% of those patients who fit the criteria that I've read out will have bowel cancer. Mm. So 97% of people being referred on an HSC or two-week weight referral have not got bowel cancer, but yeah. yet they need to be seen within two weeks, have a diagnostic test within two weeks, and that is overwhelming, particularly yeah. the endoscopy service. So if you can have a test in the community which says your chance of bowel cancer is exceptionally slim... You may not even require a colonoscopy. Now, the other things you need to know is that if you have iron deficiency anemia, a rectal mass, an abdominal mass, you know, your suspicion of cancer is higher. So fit test doesn't come into it. You should be referred in anyway. Yeah. If you have frank rectal bleeding, your fit test will be positive. Yeah. And, there, and that could be hemorrhoidal bleeding. And therefore, a fit test shouldn't be done. But a fit test comes into its own when you have diarrhea, which is a really common referral symptom. If you have diarrhea with a negative fit and a negative fit is less than 10, then you, you may not even need uh, endoscopic um, investigation. I mean, you might do to look for inflammatory bowel disease or diverticular disease or whatever else, but not on an urgent pathway. Yeah. The bowel cancer screening program uses fit so patients are invited between the age of 60 and 74 every two years to complete a fit and send it back now you're working on the basis that screening patients are asymptomatic so if you read the nice fit study it will explain this but you're looking for a much higher quantitative level to be positive in the asymptomatic group okay. so i i think and i could be wrong i think the cutoff is 120 in the screening program could even be higher than that because these are a different group of patients they are asymptomatic yeah okay so in the uh in the next few years the screening age is being dropped so everywhere in the uk has agreed to start screening between 50 and 59 essentially so lowering the age of screening from 60 to 50 okay. and but you this new fit test uh, yeah. to identify patients who do need a colonoscopy mm. If it is a game changer. Yeah, I actually did a project with my auntie who who is a colorectal surgeon, um, yeah. uh, auditing their two week weight referrals, and part of it was looking at their fit tests. And it we came out with exactly the same thing that those that have a negative fit were really unlikely 
um, on a much smaller scale, I imagine, than that than the registrar. But um, but think- it's changed their practice. They've managed to change their they they sort of they they reject or turn back referrals that don't have them um, for GPs yeah, to or do. Yeah, at least step them off or the step them down. Back. Yeah. So the key thing there is that um, going forward now, we've got some things that are going to change this sort of mountain of referrals coming in mm. all the time. So the first one is fit. The gastroenterologists will probably take on more of um, anemia. So at the moment, anemia yeah. in some places goes both to colorectal and to gastroenterology. We all know that many patients are anemic. They don't always have an iron deficiency picture. So that will be helped. There's some sort of tightening up of that referral process. Fit will help. The other thing that a lot of hospitals are doing is starting these um sort of rapid diagnostic clinics for people with non-specific or vague symptoms that could be related to cancer. They've all mm. got different names, these clinics. Um, rapid access. Uh, One sort stop of, or those sorts of yeah. things. Yeah, so it's your abdominal pain, weight loss type people, very vague symptoms, night sweats that could encompass a lot of different cancers will go to a one-stop clinic where they can have for example a ct scan so Mm. that should help take some of the pressure off i would highly recommend that you read the nice fit study by d'souza so another clinical question so a patient is referred to a clinic via the two-week weight pathway that we've talked about with a positive fit which we all know what that is now um what are the clinical features that you would ask for in a history what would you have expected me to ask miss miss faulkner when i was in clinic with you Yeah, so we basically want to know about their bowel habit. So we want to know whether their bowel habit has changed. So really, when it comes to colorectal cancer, um, diarrhea is a symptom of importance. Constipation is not really a symptom that concerns us when it comes to the diagnosis of bowel cancer. Now, obviously, there are always extremes uh, and unusual um, presentations. You can present with obstruction or a degree of obstruction if you actually have uh, a partial bowel obstruction or a complete bowel obstruction from a bowel cancer. But generally speaking, it's diarrhea that's the change in bowel habit that we're more interested in. Um, So we want to know about that. We want to know about bleeding, PR bleeding, and the nature of it. So the more concerning features are persistent bleeding, so bleeding every time you go as opposed to an intermittent history, altered blood, blood mixed with stool. So the fresh blood on the toilet paper uh, dripping into the pan obviously sounds more anorectal, hemorrhoidal in nature. Um, I guess the important thing to note is that because bowel cancer is so common, presenting symptoms are varied and wide-ranging. So you can never exclude a bowel cancer on the basis of a history. And pretty much everybody who's referred to a colorectal clinic um particularly on a hsc pathway is going to get some investigations if they're fit enough to have them um you're unlikely to be able to say people have not got a colorectal cancer on the basis of a history but these are the things that in your mind might be setting off alarm bells yeah so pain well people don't bowel cancer as, as such unless it's complicated as in causing an obstruction or a perforation doesn't generally cause pain in isolation possibly the common a common presentation or not common but something that you see is people presenting with right upper quadrant pain due to liver metastases stretching the liver capsule yeah. so that's one way of linking bowel cancer to pain um weight loss so when you've got long-standing or advanced disease you 
or metastatic disease, you may get weight loss. Mm-hmm. So they're the kind of general symptoms people are going to complain of. Yeah. In terms of um, other things that you want to know, uh, you want to know about their family history, going back to our inherited um, conditions. You want to know if they have a personal history of bowel cancer or previous bowel polyps. You want to know about their past medical and surgical history because you're already thinking ahead about how fit they are for treatment, for investigation and treatment. So the tests that we do to look for bowel cancer can be quite invasive. So we want to know if people have got renal impairment, diabetes, if they're on anticoagulants, if they've had previous surgery. All these things are very relevant. Mm-hmm. Um, we're then obviously going to examine them and we're not we're going to want to do an abdominal examination and obviously we're going to want to do a rectal examination that's absolutely key yeah. um bearing in mind that a third of colorectal cancers are rectal cancers they're not all going to be within the um the distance of your index finger but some of them will be so examination is important it may not have been examined in the community they often haven't been at the moment um so they're the basic things. Obviously, you want to know about other markers of their general health. Do they smoke? Do they drink a lot of alcohol? Do they do much physical activity? Yeah, great. Um, so this patient that's come in, he reports a few episodes of PR bleeding mixed with the stool. He's had a change in bowel habit with diarrhea um, and his examination is unremarkable, pretty much. How okay. um, are we going to investigate this patient from the two the clinic or not after the clinic i guess so the gold standard is going to be a colonoscopy which can be um obviously diagnostic and to a certain extent uh, it can be therapeutic so if people are fit enough to have a colonoscopy, then that's what we would normally go with. And that's to look at the entire colon. So in the uh, a few years ago, there was a screening program which was called um, Bowelscope. And it would offer you a flexible sigmoidoscopy, a one-off flexible sigmoidoscopy at the age of uh, 50 years to check your left colon on the basis that more uh, character cancers present on the left side. Now, that doesn't mean you've not got a cancer on the right side, but it was considered to be a fairly uh, straightforward, quick and minimally invasive test that could be rolled out to lots of people. Bowel scope has now been phased out. But in terms of investigating people who you have a a level of suspicion for bowel cancer, they have to have a complete examination of the colon. So a flexible sigmoidoscopy in isolation is not enough. You have to look at the whole colon. Now, if you've got a patient who is going to be high risk either for um, high risk of significant consequence from a complication of a colonoscopy or who might come to harm because of bowel prep, which is what you need for a colonoscopy, then you may have to reconsider that. So the benefit of the colonoscopy is that you're going to be able to take biopsies and remove polyps at the same time, so it's therapeutic. You can also go down the route of banding hemorrhoids if you want to. If you can't do a colonoscopy, then your next best test is your CT colonography scan. So that's a form of CT scan of the abdomen and pelvis using uh, contrast, rectal contrast, and using bowel preparation to give you much better views of the colon. Yeah. 
and it can pick up uh, provided you get good uh, clearing out of the bowel and you get good distension of the colon because you put air in and you get mm. the patient to move around on the table. Okay. Providing you get adequate views, it will pick up polyps. Usually it can struggle with polyps under the size of a centimetre, but polyps and cancers. For that, patients generally have to take a combination of picolax and gastrographin. Well, now, lot. if you've got... <laughs> So it's pro- it's also so for a colonoscopy, most people use the osmotic uh, laxative mover prep, hard going yeah. stuff. Yeah. So you still have to take bowel prep for a CTC. Mm. The I suppose it's slightly less aggressive bowel prep. Perhaps you might consider it. So if you've got a patient who's older and comorbid, they can have a compromised bowel prep of a of a dose of gastrographin alone. So the advantage of the CTC is that um, it avoids the significant risks of colonoscopy, which could be very dangerous to certain patient populations, Mm. so perforation and bleeding. But it risks not being adequate, or if it does find a tumour or a polyp, they're going to then need an endoscopic examination for biopsy or removal. It also has an advantage in that it looks at everything else inside the abdomen. Yeah. So it will. It looks at you know the other solid organs and everything else inside the abdomen, and could be combined with the CT of the chest yeah. if you were trying to investigate weight loss and wanted to cover all bases. Yeah. So they're your best two tests. Now, failing that, if you think this patient cannot have bowel prep, you know it's not not safe for them because they've got you know they're frail, immobile. Uh, diabetic well they can still have bowel prep when they're diabetic renal impairment then your next best is a ct scan of the abdomen and pelvis with iv contrast now that's not guaranteed to pick up a bowel cancer but will show gross abnormalities and you can go and you can sometimes combine that with a flexible sigmoidoscopy for example just with enema prep to see the rectum and the lower bit of the bowel which is not always easy to visualize on a ct Mm. now if you're in the realm of investigating a patient like that and thinking they're not fit for bowel prep they're not fit for a colonoscopy they won't manage a ct colonography you have to think to yourself what am i going to do with this patient if they have a a diagnosis of bowel cancer now everybody nowadays wants to know and that's fair enough but are they going to be fit for major surgery and if they're really not and all of these investigations are of significant risk of harm to them you may need to have that conversation with the patient and the relatives about whether you, you want to go down the route of doing any of these kind of tests yeah yeah um yeah um we touched on it uh, i remember i think from from clinic when i was with you uh if if they do have weight loss unintentional weight loss in the history there and they're fit for a colonoscopy you you do a ct tap as alongside that yeah. that right yeah we generally do so weight loss per se um we know that the patients that we know that there is a connection between obesity and bowel cancer, unlike uh, lung cancer, unlike upper GI cancer. We don't often see patients presenting uh, by GP referrals with significant weight loss with bowel cancer. Weight loss and bowel cancer is usually a sign of advanced disease and metastatic disease. Absolutely, it's it's part of the. Um, profile but significant weight loss per se tends to go along more commonly with lung and upper GI cancers Mm. and therefore if you're investigating for weight loss and weight loss is a very common um, symptom uh, or or sign uh, symptom yeah that's you know um, causes people to be referred to hospital for tests they've got to have a CT scan of their chest abdomen and pelvis Mm. okay 
pancreatic cancer, renal cancers, it will pick up those things, basically. Yeah, yeah. And that goes for anemia also. If you're CT scanning to look for, if, you've, if you're, again, if you're not certain that a patient can tolerate endoscopic examination, which is what's required to investigate anemia, you need to have a gastroscopy and a colonoscopy looking for gastric and colon cancers. So if a patient's not fit for, for those, they've got to have a CT scan of their chest, abdomen and pelvis to uh, look for causes of anemia. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're going to move straight on to um, treatment. Uh, do you remember to go and look at sort of the staging? Just quickly, it's the TNM staging, isn't it, Miss um, Faulkner, that they use? But the breakdown of that, um, I'd go recommend going to have a little look at. Um, but next question, what are the treatment options for a patient with a local non-metastatic colorectal cancer and generally what procedures do you perform? So the treatment of uh, bowel cancer is surgery so that's the only effective curative treatment as it stands <laughs> although there are some caveats to that. <laughs> so um, Patients got had their colonoscopy, they have their tissue biopsies, and then we get uh, their staging CT. So for a colon cancer, they need to have a staging CT of the chest, abdomen, and pelvis. Mm -hmm. For a rectal cancer, they have to have that, but also an MR scan of the pelvis, which locally stages the disease. Yeah. So when all these results are back, the patient's discussed in the colorectal cancer MDT, attended by surgeons, oncologists, radiologists, histopathologists and clinical nurse specialists. So for the case of a colon cancer, which is not metastasized, you're generally looking at straight to surgery. Now, if there is more advanced local disease, so if we're talking about T4 disease, so a tumour that's grown through the wall of the bowel uh, and is on the serosal surface of the bowel, or is in, so that's fairly locally advanced disease, there is... Um, evidence to suggest that they could be treated with neoadjuvant chemotherapy to mm. downstage the disease making it more likely that you get a complete resection yeah. so neoadjuvant chemotherapy is used in colon cancer now on the basis of a big some big studies called foxtrot okay, okay. Yeah. previously we always went straight to surgery for colon cancer Rectal cancer is different. So for rectal cancer, the MR scan will tell us how how much it's grown through the wall of the rectum. And we know the rectum is enclosed in an envelope of fat called the mesorectum. Yeah. And the MR scan will tell us whether there is involvement of what we call the circumferential resection margin. Yeah. So that's the outer bit of the envelope that we're going to remove at surgery. Now, if that margin is threatened we, and we go straight to surgery, we might risk leaving cancer behind in the pelvis, yeah. which will come back in instantly. It's very unpleasant. You're doing people a disservice. So in the realm of rectal cancer, we use neoadjuvant or um, pre-surgery treatment to downstage disease much more commonly mm. and that's usually radiotherapy given as a short course or a longer course combined with the oral chemotherapy agent capcitabine which sensitizes the tumor to the radiotherapy they then have a break after the radiotherapy in the case of long course treatment that goes on every day five days a week for five weeks and then they have a break of eight to ten weeks 
which I describe a bit like when you've microwaved something and it says you have to leave it to stand for two minutes because the radiotherapy continues to work. Then they have further restaging scans and then they have surgery. There is also something now called total neoadjuvant treatment, which is long course radiotherapy combined with some of the immunotherapy agents Mm. uh, or other chemotherapy agents, which is given uh, in certain groups of patients with with the aim really to try to get a complete clinical response so going back to that study i mentioned at the beginning you're basically trying to get rid of the rectal tumor there's a lot of advances around neoadjuvant at neoadjuvant treatment of rectal cancer because um the treatment of rectal cancer the surgery for rectal cancer can involve a permanent stoma Mm. and for patients that's an area that they want us to get better <laughs> yeah. at so that they don't require that yeah so going back to the treatment of colon cancer operation so we generally it depends on the site of the tumor yeah. but it's fairly straightforward a right-sided tumor is treated by a right hemicolectomy removing the right hand third or almost yeah around about third to a half bowel joining the ends back together mm-hmm. joining the ileum to the transverse colon or the more that's that's one of the commoner operations that we do or you're doing an operation to remove some part of the left side of the colon whether that's the sigmoid colon or if you have tumors in the descending colon which are a bit less uh, common you might do a left hemicolectomy we don't do those all that often mm. or you're doing an anterior resection which removes the rectum mm. or part of it and the one that always confuses everybody is the abdominoperineal resection of the rectum, which is the one where abdomino, you come through the front, perineal, you remove the anus, mm-hmm. and you end up with a permanent colostomy. Mm-hmm. So this always confuses people, the difference between an anterior resection, which is generally the removal of the rectum, with the colon then being joined onto uh, the bit of the rectum just above the anus, or the abdominoperineal resection, which means you don't have a bum hole anymore. You yeah. have a permanent colostomy. And that's because you've got a low rectal cancer, yeah. which is so close to the anal uh, canal of the anal sphincters that that has to come out with it. Yeah, you can't get your margins with the... Yeah. Yes. And the idea of downstaging neoadjuvant treatment is sometimes to try and avoid that situation. Okay. The other operation that we sometimes do is the extended right hemicolectomy, which removes tumours in the trans, the distal part of the transverse colon. Again, this is confusing mm. because you're actually removing the whole of the right side of the bowel to take off a tumour near the splenic flexure. Mm. When you explain it to patients, they think it's bonkers. It's all to do with the feeding blood supply of the bowel. Mm. And we know, obviously, that the blood supply around the splenic flexure is the watershed area. It's a poor blood supply. So doing segmental resections in that area or trying to do um, to join bits of colon to the transverse around the transverse colon doesn't work well. Mm. So it doesn't have a good blood supply. We're still not entirely certain what's the best thing to do with splenic flexure tumours, but often the operation of choice is the extended right hemicolectomy. Mm. There then are some other treatments available for early stage rectal cancers, but that's probably for another day. <laughs> and most of these operations would be approached now using a laparoscopic technique yeah. with the option to convert to open if it's tricky for any reason. And in some centres, they're being done robotically, particularly rectal cancer, which lends itself well to robotic surgery mm. because the views and access are much better with a robot. Yeah. Great. That was fabulous. Um, so we 
I'm going to stop there, I think. Just some other things we haven't touched on, so we haven't really talked about metastatic um, cancer. So that would just be something that you guys need to read about in within this topic as well. Um, but I think we've we've covered loads. Um, that was really good. Thank you, Miss Faulkner. It was very good Happy to, to have come you. Another time if needed. <laughs> Thank. Well, we should bring you. I was thinking at the beginning, I should have got you one for pelvic floor stuff, <laughs> shouldn't I? Oh well, yeah. Definitely. We'd need longer than an hour, I assume. A week. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, Always happy to talk about the pelvic floor. <laughs> well, um, thank you so much. That was really good. Um, and I hope you have a no great problem. rest of the day. Thanks for listening again, guys. I also hope you have a great day, whatever you are doing. And I'll be back soon with another episode. Ta-ta. Oh, well, a dim bone, dim bone, dim. Try bone.